the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Beginning with the seventh verse of the eleventh chapter. And he, that is John the Baptist, preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he had come up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that we would lift up our eyes unto you, that we would see the bright star that you've given us, and that we would long for the morning, even as the watchman longs for the morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christianity is revelation and epiphany. It's not merely philosophy or self-help or a moral system, like so many people think, but rests on the fact that God revealed himself to individuals, to people, to the world. And he continues to do so. For Christmas, I asked for a certain Norman Rockwell picture that I've long admired, and I brought it here with me today. It's entitled, Lift Up Thine Eyes. Is anybody familiar with this one? I mean, Rockwell has so many good pictures. But it's entitled, Lift Up Thine Eyes. And if you look at it, it's the entrance to St. Thomas, 6th Avenue in Manhattan. And you'll see the way that Rockwell portrays this there's the priest here having the uh, sexton change the church sign out front, which says, lift up thine eyes. And the artist draws your eyes up to Christ the King at the center of the entrance, and then up to the doves ascending up unto heaven. But by contrast, you see the people walking the sidewalk. And the people's heads if you can't see where you are, are downcast, turned down, engrossed in different things, perhaps the sorrows of life, perhaps just the worries of the day, but they hurry on by, even though all they have to do is lift up their eyes to see the hope and the joy that's brought by Christ, the King of the universe. It's a, it's a wonderful piece that you can just kind of absorb and look at for a long time, and so I'll leave it here. I'll put it out during coffee hour. You can take a look at it. Art says things in ways sometimes that words cannot. What a gift it is to us. 
Lift up thine eyes. The good news is that God has come to save his people. And he shines like the star of epiphany in the midst of darkness. God reveals himself to the world. And yet, epiphany is not the same as revelation. For epiphany requires a mental ascent. Represented in this picture as people lifting up their eyes, turning up towards the Lord, lifting up themselves to look at God. That is epiphany. Revelation stands whether we look at it or not. And yet the effect of revelation only is effectual if we receive the epiphany. There's a pattern in the Bible, and if there's lots of patterns in the Bible, but if there's one overarching one, it's the fact that we go back to the beginning and God reveals himself. God reveals himself first to Adam and Eve. They have epiphanies, and subsequent epiphanies go on and on. And yet, the first sin of Eve, and then subsequently Adam in Genesis 3, is an anti-epiphany which I think I've preached on before, so I'll just touch on it briefly. That is, that when Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam tacitly approved it, their desire was not just to see God, to lift up their eyes to him, or even to know him, but to be him. That is the anti-epiphany. And so, through the, his own playbook, Lucifer plays humanity away from receiving God as the epiphany to trying to be God. And the rest of Holy Scripture, we see the theme of God continually revealing himself again to humanity and asking them to receive the epiphany. God doesn't give up on humanity. Thank God. He doesn't give up on us. Thank God. Amen? God continues to reveal himself in the Old Testament to Abraham at Ur, to Moses on Mount Sinai. In fact, if you want a wonderful psalm that illustrates this, Psalm 78, which is one of my favorites, details God's faithfulness and mankind's faithlessness in not receiving this epiphany and turning to God. Simply defined... Epiphany is wrapped together with revelation, but requires lifting up one's eyes. It's not coincidental, therefore, that Matthew's gospel in chapter 2 tells of a star rising in the east, guiding the magi, or the wise men, to the Christ child, which of course was yesterday's readings as the feast of the Epiphany. And then today we have God revealing Jesus as his well-beloved son, with whom he is well-pleased. At Christmas, we read from John's Gospel, as the lights were out and we were singing Silent Night, and we heard John's Gospel proclaim to us, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, referring to Jesus. And we carried lights with us, not just because that's a nice thing to do, but to show that we carry that light with us as Christians. It's the center of who we are. 
For at the center of all that light and revelation is Jesus, a baby, lying in a manger, grown here into a man in Mark chapter 1. But let's look at the three epiphanies that we see. The first epiphany is to the Jews, which we've already touched upon. Look with me at the Isaiah text, chapter 42, which Eris read for us today as our first reading. This is what's called the servant song, one of the servant songs that foretells Jesus in the book of Isaiah. And in verse 6 particularly, the prophet speaks of the Lord God taking his servant by the hand and making him a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. A covenant for the people and a light for the nations. The Annunciation, the angel Gabriel, brings news and an epiphany, a revelation, which becomes an epiphany, to Mary, the Virgin, and Joseph later, who accept God's revelation and therefore bring Jesus to God's chosen people, the Jews. On Christmas Eve, that epiphany, we sang with the heaven, to the heavens with the shepherds and the angels. And in today's gospel, again, it's revealed to the Jews in the baptism, proclaimed first by John the Baptist, setting us up for the one who will baptize in greater ways, and setting the Hebrews up to receive him, to receive that epiphany. And so there's a confluence, a coming together of covenant and revelation also with epiphany. In the Isaiah passage, in the servant song, there's a prediction of this servant who will reveal God's justice and compassion and serve himself as a covenant. If we look, then, at Mark's gospel, we see the Isaiah prophecy fulfilled. Jesus is revealed to the Jews at his baptism as God's beloved son, the servant in whom God delights. It's interesting, you can translate that line, both in Isaiah and the last line of the gospel lesson today, the same way. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased or in whom I delight. But in being baptized, Jesus also establishes a new covenant, a covenant in himself, not of circumcision, but in himself as the Christ. The Jews who witnessed this heard and saw the Lord Almighty's revelation and were given the opportunity to receive that epiphany. The epiphany being that Jesus was the suffering servant that Isaiah predicts. He is the one who brings justice and compassion and salvation. He is the one in whom the covenant exists in the new covenant. An epiphany to the Jews. But secondly, there's an epiphany to the nations. For there's revelation and epiphany to the nations also predicted in that Isaiah passage. Look at the second portion of verse 6 in Isaiah 42 and verse 7. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. And verse 7, 
to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. From Abraham onward, God's intention was to bless his chosen people that they might be a blessing to the world. And so he made a covenant with them for the purpose that they would bring forth Jesus, the Christ, that blessing that would be open to all the nations, that covenant that would be open to all the nations. As a star shining in the darkness does not discriminate to whom it gives light, neither does Jesus' revelation of God nor his covenant established in baptism discriminate by people. The light shines in the darkness for all to behold. But as John chapter 1 tells us also, he who was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And what that shows is that the revelation of God comes forth to his chosen people in the Old Testament, to the Jews, and both them, and then to the world, and yet they don't receive him, at least not all of them. But anyone can receive the light of Christ. Gentiles may come, as well as Jews. Sinners of Gentiles may come, even if they're the worst sinners. Men of great place and station and women of great standing may come to Jesus. Those of great gifts and wisdom, like the Magi, may come to Jesus. Likewise, the uneducated and the poor can come to Jesus. The star of Jesus goes before the Magi and guides them, but the revelation of God is for all people, shining on all people and does not care, but in fact transcends the barriers and the definitions that we put on one another of ethnicity, of language. The gospel transcends class and educational distinction. No matter what a person's background is, all who receive God, who receive the light, have the right to become children of God. And in that, the epiphany is something most uncommon. For the epiphany is the application of revealing God to all people. That the good news of salvation can be born in the heart of all people. But there is something that is required of all people. Humility. Humbleness being poor in spirit. You see, humility is necessary to receive the revelation and to accept the epiphany of our Lord. The wealthiest king can be poor in spirit, and the homeless man can be proud of heart. And of course, the alternative goes true is also true. Humility knows no race, knows no class. We are all morally equal in that regard. Likewise, education can stand in the way of humility. And yet, 
the most educated man can have the simplicity to accept the epiphany. And the most uneducated man can reject it. God has come in his glory, dear friends, in Jesus, to open the eyes that are blind, no matter whose eyes they are, to bring, bring prisoners from the dungeon, no matter what dungeon they're coming from and what circumstances brought them there, and those who sit in darkness. For a light shines, the light of revelation, the possibility of epiphany. And there's yet another star in which we are concerned. In addition to being Bishop of Winchester and at the head of the scholastic team that translated the Old Testament, known as the Authorized Version or the King James Version back in the 1600s, Bishop Lancelot and Andrews has some wonderful sermons on the Nativity. And it's one of these sermons particularly that drew my attention this week to our second lesson. Second Peter, particularly chapter 1, verse 19. It's in your order of service because it's not the appointed reading. And yet we do this as Anglicans once in a while, deviating from the lectionary. Yes, it's all right. Look at Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 19. St. Peter writes, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You see the third light, the third star, as it were. St. Peter bids his brothers and sisters in baptism to be diligent to confirm their calling and election in the beginning of this reading. And this letter is to the church writ large. It's one of the so-called Catholic epistles because it's written not particularly to any church, but to the church. Thus, the Apostle Peter is speaking to you and to me when he writes this. Peter has seen the Lord on the Mount of the Transfiguration where God once again reiterates that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and his beloved son, by the way. That line comes up again at the transfiguration. But you and I, while we have not seen Jesus in his glory, nor have we heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, have a light yet. For Peter bids us to rely on him as an eyewitness and to rely on the scriptures as good testimony and to cling to faith. Faith is like a lamp in a dark place. And the true faith is anchored in the apostles' witness and the holy scriptures. The fact that the good news of Jesus does not depend on our own thoughts and experience should give us confidence and boldness. Why? Well, it's a fine thing to think about and to share your faith with others. And we should do that as Christians, as long as you remember that your faith is the reception of revelation. That your faith is just a reflection, an epiphany, as it were. 
by all means, share your experience of God, but don't confuse your experience with the prophecy of the Holy Spirit found in God's sacred word or in the historic tradition of the apostles. When we talk to our families and friends and strangers about the wonders of Christmas and Epiphany and the cross and the resurrection, it's important to point people to the day star, to Christ, as we've received him. It's an enormous relief, however, to do so. For if people reject the gospel or Jesus, they're rejecting his salvation and closing their minds to his epiphany, not to you or I. At the same time, when people receive the good news of Jesus and accept his epiphany, it's his light that shines in the darkness and not you or I. There's great comfort in the fact, friends, that that's what we preach. We preach Christ. We preach a gospel that's unchanging. For we must pay attention to the lamp until the day dawns and until the morning star himself rises in our hearts, as Revelation calls Christ. The star of faith, therefore, the third star of epiphany, should ever be rising in your hearts. And so I ask you, is it? Is that star rising in your hearts as you reflect on the wise men and the baptism of our Lord? Does this epiphany of God, this revealing, receive acceptance by you? Are you a wise man? Are you a person who receives the faith? Are you someone who lifts up his eyes unto the Lord? Lancelot Andrews says, Christ's birth made manifest to them by the star in heaven. Their faith, the star of their hearts, made manifest to Christ and all who travel of it, which showed it manifestly. And so what Lancelot Andrews is saying is that we reflect the light of the star. We are not the star itself. And at the same time, we must cling and look up to that star. Whether a Christian has just come to accept Jesus, or he's followed in the footsteps of his Lord or her Lord for many years, the morning star, the day star, arises in his heart. And the day star, if you don't know what that is, it's the first star, or the last star rather, that comes before morning. It's before the dawn. And what that is saying to us, what St. Peter is saying to us, is that we look forward to the dawn, to the coming of Christ as the watchman looks for the morning. Until the dawn, until the day dawns, dear friends, look for the morning star. Receive the revelation. Accept the epiphany. Endure. Be diligent in your calling and confirm your election until you see Christ in his glory. The light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let the light so shine in you and before others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.